social distancing, quarantining, avoiding bars and restaurants. COVID restrictions don't exactly lend themselves to an active dating life. Or so I thought. Turns out people are flocking to online dating apps. In March of 2020, Tinder recorded 3 billion swipes on a single day. That's a record. But all that swiping and matching, it's also proving a little draining for some. At this point, I'm completely over it. We'll examine this surge in online dating and how it's changing the search for love in the time of COVID. That's today on Brainstorm, the podcast about how tech is reshaping our world. Hi, everyone. I'm Michal Avram. And I'm Brian O'Keefe. Okay, so... It seems a little strange that dating apps are doing so well during this time of COVID. You know, we can't go out to eat. You can't really go to bars in most areas. I don't know about mingling with strangers, let alone smooching them. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, on one level, it does seem a little counterintuitive. You can't have uh, date night at the movies, or at least you shouldn't be having it. On the other hand, it totally makes sense because people are isolated. They're home alone. And for people younger than myself, you know, meeting people through digital apps and dating sites is is the way they connect. They've been trained to reach out, find people that they want to hang out with through these apps. And so it seems natural that they would turn to them now. We're going to hear from someone who has been in the throes of pandemic dating and can tell us a little bit more. I think a lot of people can probably relate to her experience. Allison Stevenson is a comedian and also a writer in Los Angeles. Allison's been a user of online dating apps for quite a while. And in some ways, she says they've been great. Online dating apps were so appealing because it's like, if you match, that means that person's attracted to you. And it made it easier for me to kind of be openly like flirtatious and make a move. Fast forward to the beginning of 2020. She's newly single, going on dates. And then the pandemic strikes. There was really just something about not seeing anybody, like not even seeing a friend that really made me be like, okay, I need to get back on these apps. But I was so shocked that it did not change much. (laughs) That was the most shocking to me was like, oh, guys are like still asking me to come over. Like (laughs) it's a pandemic, but it's still like, The first message is like, oh, what's up? I have toilet paper. Want to hang out? Like, (laughs) it was like a huge turnoff. Huge turnoff. Michal, guys are the worst, don't you think? (laughs) No comment. Not all. Not all. But but yes, I have toilet paper. You want to hang out is like not the best pickup line. So has Allison just given up? Yes. Yeah. I've given up. I mean, I don't think it's a permanent give up. Just knowing me, (laughs) I think I will eventually be back on the apps. But right now, it just feels nice to kind of lean into this absence of romantic connection and just kind of truly be alone in a way that I don't think I ever have been before. Well, I love hearing about someone who's learning to enjoy their own company. And if that's the the product out of this, the byproduct, then that's great. But Allison's experience aside, online dating is soaring. From March to May 2020, OkCupid saw a 700% increase in dates. 
And Bumble, another app, experienced a 70% rise in video calls. Yeah, the video trend is really interesting to me. As someone who has never done online dating and certainly hasn't done it in the pandemic era, I had no idea that video, though it's permeating every other aspect of the web, is becoming a core part of digital dating. Our next guest is Catherine Connolly. She's a co-founder and the senior vice president of marketing for the Meet Group, which has three of the top 10 most downloaded apps in the US. And she says that using video is key to making their dating apps a place to find connection. When it comes to dating apps, they can be the loneliest places in the world. So a person generally comes to a dating app looking for someone to connect with, but often ends up messaging people who don't really respond or swiping on people who don't swipe back. And so live video transforms those moments of loneliness into moments of connection. The beauty of broadcast video is that there are 10 people willing to view a stream for every one person willing to create one. And so that's kind of engagement magic. And so now when you're on a dating app and you might see an empty chat screen or maybe not enough chats coming in, you jump into live video and there's thousands of people that you can connect with right there. And so it allows you to kind of feel much more like you're hanging out among friends than otherwise feeling lonely and missing that opportunity to connect. First of all, how did that come about? How did you introduce that? And then how did you know that that was the thing that it would work, like having this sort of visual chat room where people connect responding to videos? So our CEO was in China in 2015 and really saw firsthand the rise of the Chinese live streaming apps. And he thought the format could play well in the West. And, and so it really wasn't something that was being done. But given our perception of the, the opportunity, he basically put the whole company on building video. And at the same time, we began acquiring competitors where we thought live video would fit in as well. And so that's how we acquired Scout, Tagged, Lavoo, and Growler. Um, the app we co-founded together was uh, Meet Me, and we enabled each with live video. It's really the concept of marrying a dating app, which typically has many short sessions because you're kind of coming in, sending a few chats, maybe swiping on a few people, and then, and then leaving with uh, live streaming, which typically has fewer, longer sessions. And so if you combine those, it really leads to unprecedented engagement and deepens the community. So if we're on the app and you record a video and you put it out there, then am I responding to you by video? Like, will you see my video or will I respond in text or can it be either way we want it to be? Or I'm just trying to picture how it works. So so the way it looks is that you're, you're streaming like you would say in like FaceTime or, you know, anything that you're. <laughs> in Instagram Live, most of the people are going to be responding to you via comments in real time. And so they're sending chats and typically streamers will be just talking to the, um, uh, and responding to those text chats. However, we have a bunch of features that we kind of built onto it. And so one of them is if they want someone to be broadcasting with them, that person can hop into a uh, guest box and kind of be picture in picture. And so then it's the two of them talking to each other and then also talking to the other people viewing the stream. Hmm. Another feature that we have is uh, called Battles, where that's two streamers that have started a stream and then you combine the streams. It becomes a fun way for the streamers to kind of compete. And um, so there might be like a dance off or um, it's like a rap battle. Or a rap battle. Yeah. I've seen those as well. And and their and their viewers can, you know, cheer them on and also um, send them ritual gifts. But kind of where it really meets dating is we have this game called Next Date. Nearly 250,000 Next Date rounds are played per day. And what that is, is kind of you, you put yourself in Next Date mode and people can line up to date you. And so you're kind of the star of your own reality TV show. You have someone in your 
in your game mode and you have two minutes if you want to next them or date them. And uh, it, it leads into a fun way of, of dating. So suddenly the rap battle turns into speed dating. <laughs> exactly. So this whole thing strikes me as something you built with like, you know, you started working on it a while ago, seeing what was coming out of China, but like anticipating our phones are going to get better, our 5G networks are coming, like is the leap forward in technology that's happening with mobile really like an accelerant to making all these things work and uh, making people engage with them? Yeah. So, I mean, the better your device is, um, kind of the better for being able to stream and not, um, you know, lose battery and things like that. So all of that matters for the members using it. But I think what really was the major catalyst in a feature like this is that people hate dating apps. They're just not getting uh, the connection that they wanted. So, you know, they joined this dating app in order to find connection and community and they end up slightly more lonely than when they started because now they're also kind of rejected if someone hasn't been responding to their chats or you have to swipe through thousands of profiles to get someone to respond to you. And so that that's very frustrating for the end user and um, not a good experience. Whereas with live streaming, what, what we see is our members actually have more confidence after going live and, and feeling more connection and community uh, because they have this positive experience of just immediately being able to find that connection and, and find that community. So what are your main drivers of revenue? If you're trying to make things open and easy for people to get in and connected, what are the revenue sources for you guys? What kind of is the magic with live streaming video? So that that engagement aspect for 10 people willing to view a stream and then for every one person willing to create one, there's that leads to engagement, but also leads to monetization. And so because some of those 10 viewers will monetize. And so what we are, how we monetize is through a virtual gifting model. It benefits through people who really would never pay a subscription. And unlike subscription, it actually monetizes up to each individual spender's willingness to spend. It's kind of akin to, say, if you were in a bar and you were going and you wanted to capture someone's attention, so you buy them a drink. Um, and so it's, it's that type of gifting. Does that mean I'm sending you $20 or does that mean I'm buying you like a a virtual gift, but it costs $20. Yeah. So it, it's a virtual gift. And so, um, it, it can range in price from like 10 cents to $250. And so what you might be sending someone might be an ice castle or a dragon, um, or, um, a teddy bear. And so basically we have all sorts of gifts and we actually swap them out pretty frequently. We have special holiday gifts, for instance, as well, but we, we try to keep them fresh and our, our streamers actually get very into seeing like the, the new ones as they come out <laughs> because they, they are actually really fun gifts. It's fun to see the dragon come out of the egg and everything. But that's just like a digital version of a dragon, right? You're not, they're not sending them like a, a stuffed dragon. Right, right. It's a digital version. It, it's an animation. Okay. So if dating wasn't hard enough and if online dating wasn't in some ways challenging enough for a lot of people, then along came the pandemic last year and has made going out of the house tough, much less dating or, or meeting new people. How has that affected your business? Because it's hard to date, you know, when you're under lockdown, for instance, although you can flirt online. You can, you can. So what we saw was increased engagement in our uh, live streaming features. And so basically we saw uh, an increase in video minutes of over 30%. So now members spending 1.1 billion minutes in video per month. 1.1 billion minutes across all your apps. Yes. Part of that reason is because people have been much more willing to video date and, and do things like that. A lot of other apps 
kind of were rushing to add video, um, especially in the early months of the the pandemic. So that we had already had the product was um, obviously good for our members and, and their connections. But where video is especially important during the pandemic and I think is becoming kind of a way of life is for COVID, it's important to, um, a potential date via video before meeting in person, it makes sense to kind of pre-screen the date that way. But also it saves a lot of time. (laughs) If you can save yourself, you know, from going on a terrible coffee date um, where you don't have any chemistry by just having a five minute video date, then that is definitely worth it. And so uh, one of the trends that, that we've been noticing over 2020 basically is just people having many, many more video dates and kind of seeing, um, you know, which relationships would be worth pursuing. And so there's, it just makes sense to do that pre-screening. Unfortunately, you know, like wearing masks and taking precautions in some places has been kind of a political issue, or, you know, if you're connecting with someone through an app and potentially want to take it to the next stage, you want to know that they're going to be aligned with how you're approaching health and safety. Is there a way that you can make that easy for them to say like, yes, I believe in wearing masks. I right. am taking the proper precautions, et cetera. Yeah. So we rolled out a, um, basically a COVID dating preference field on profiles. And so you could specify your level of comfort. Like, are you interested in only virtual dates? Are you interested in meeting outside, but with masks? And so you're able to kind of specify, um, what you're willing to do. And in addition, we actually started working with our Safer Dating Advisory Board of epidemiologists and infectious disease experts to kind of help us, you know, navigate, you know, dating tips to give members. You should be talking to your potential dates about, you know, the precautions that they've been taking, but also what their households look like. Are they living with an older relative or someone with severe, you know, comorbidities? Because all of that kind of goes into kind of the calculus of whether, um, of how you should be dating. With COVID, you know, everyone is kind of has this, this huge stressor in common. And, and what we've, we've seen is that, you know, people are looking for connection probably more than they ever have. Because when you're living in isolation, um, the more community that you can find, the better. And so I, I feel the, you know, a lot of the relationships have become even deeper. And sometimes you, we've seen, this is more anecdotal, but just through members writing in, uh, we've seen that some people seem to be almost kind of fast tracking their relationship because they're, you know, really looking for that connection and they're finding it. And uh, so sometimes, you know, you know, they might be moving in together a little faster or, you know, defining the relationship a little faster, uh, becoming exclusive faster. And that's kind of exciting to see. Okay, Brian, I don't get this digital dragon thing. I'm kind of old school and I know that I am not familiar with online dating, but I want someone to buy me a drink or I'm going to buy them a drink. Like, what's wrong with that? Help me understand what this is all about. I'd like to help you understand, (laughs) but I don't totally understand myself. You know, I think dating has always been sort of a game. You know, that's part of the intrigue of it. But this is actually gamifying the dating process. I don't really understand how you turn that if you're just some innocent, poor schmo looking to meet somebody, how you turn this complex world of, dating influence video into, you know, having a nice dinner out and getting married and having kids. But I guess it works for them. Or does it? (laughs) Our next guest is not a huge fan of online dating. John Berger is actually a former colleague of ours here at Fortune. And since leaving Fortune, he's kind of become a love expert of sorts. Of sorts, his first book, Datanomics, 
looked at how male to female ratios in different locations impact dating. Basically, he wanted to answer the question, why were all these cool, smart women living in big cities having such a tough time finding the right guy? My first book explored how lopsided gender ratios among college grads were impacting kind of post-college dating. We've had essentially one-third more women than men graduate from college over the past 20 years. And this has kind of spilled over into post-college dating, not just in terms of the numbers, but in terms of the behavior. You know, when women are in oversupply, men behave badly. So, Brian, John is basically saying to women, make your move. That's the title of his book, right? If there is someone you like or you want to date, just go for it. And it's a bit of a reversal of traditional gender roles. Just so you know, John's book is specifically focused on strategies for women seeking men. So, John, I know the book is about several different issues and has many takeaways, but if you had to boil it down, what's like the top one or two? So there are two big takeaways from Make Your Move. One of them is kind of pushing back on this conventional dating advice, dating wisdom that we've seen from basically every best-selling dating book over the past 30 years, uh, from the rules to books like Ignore the Guy, Get the Guy. And all of these books are kind of built around a very complicated version of playing hard to get. This notion that men are hardwired for the chase, and thus the only way you can bag a guy is by pretending you're not interested and making him chase you and convince you that you should be interested. But think about how that messaging plays out in a post-Me Too era. I can't say that we guys have learned all the messages of Me Too perfectly, but I think most single guys have realized at this point that if you're at a party and you're talking to a woman who doesn't seem to want to talk to you, or if you went out on a first date and you're texting her or calling her and she's not returning your, your messages, the correct response to that is not to assume that she's playing hard to get. The correct response is to just leave her alone. And I, I've had so many dating coaches and matchmakers, most of them women, tell me that this kind of new mindset among men has made the kind of traditional advice uh, for women, like play it cool, be coy, be passive. Uh, it, it doesn't work so well anymore because the guys are kind of gun shy and they're not sure what to do. And as a result, women who are willing to kind of be badasses and dating the same way they are in everything else, they have this massive built-in advantage over other women who kind of wait and wait and wait to be courted. And what was the second one? The second one is encouraging women to take a break from the dating apps. Uh, I realize that in a COVID era, some people probably feel like online dating is the only dating that's going to work for them. But there's just so much evidence out there that, well, well, look, I realize that online dating has worked for some people. And there are some forms of online dating that I like a lot and I do write about in the book. But in general, online dating has not lived up to its initial promise. You know, there was a Pew Research study that, that came out recently that found that most singles think dating is harder now than it was 10 years ago. Most women have experienced harassment on dating apps. 
one-fifth of women have experienced threats of physical violence while using dating apps. And then on top of that, there's all this research out there showing that the breakup rates for couples who meet online are significantly higher than they are for people who meet face-to-face -face in traditional settings, in the workplace, at church, as neighbors, at the dog park, in college, whatever. Like people who actually know each other before they start dating, those relationships do way better than people who start from scratch as total strangers on a dating App. You mentioned COVID, obviously, those quote unquote traditional ways of meeting a partner, um, meeting somebody to date are much harder today. Um, and even post COVID, like one of the ways that in the past, at least some people would meet a significant other is in the workplace. It always was fraught in some ways, but it's become much more so today. And I know you devote a chapter to this. So could you explain your thinking on that? It's definitely complicated, but the reality is that there have been multiple studies on this. And depending upon which study you want to believe, either 25 or 30% of couples who meet in the workplace end up marrying. Now, that is an incredibly high percentage. Uh, and I don't think it like requires a whole lot of deep thought to figure out why couples who meet in the workplace fare pretty well. I mean, if you've, if you've worked with somebody for six months or a year, you have a pretty good feel for what kind of a human being that person is. And I think that's why the workplace is such a great place to meet somebody. But I do realize that in, in this day and age, there's a, added level of complication. So John, what do you what do you do about all of this? I actually think two of the big tech companies, Google and Facebook, have hit upon a really good solution to this problem. Because from my perspective, I do believe the workplace is a great place to meet somebody, but I understand how you kind of need to tamp down on this problem of women being harassed or pestered in the workplace for dates. And both Facebook and Google have a policy, a fraternization policy, in which you can ask anybody out on a date once, but only once. And if the answer is anything other than an explicit yes, that counts as a no. So if you as a woman say, yeah, not this week, that counts as a no. And if you ask again, Basically, you get sent to HR. And, and I think this is a really good way of preserving kind of the magic or what I see as the magic of workplace dating while also tamping down on this problem of women, you know, feeling harassed or treated like sex objects in the workplace. Going back to COVID, does COVID in any way change your perception of what's going on and your advice to women, has it changed anything or does what you say uh, remain unchanged in light of the pandemic? I have a friend who's an English professor at Rollins College. She's actually teaching a kind of a an adulting class, kind of a life skills class there for graduating seniors, which I think is a great requirement. And part of the conversation or part of the, the curriculum involved kind of relationships and dating. And she asked me to be a virtual speaker to her class. And towards the end of the class, a young woman asked a question. So if you don't want me to do online dating, essentially, how the heck am I supposed to meet somebody? 
And it's a fair question. Here was my response. I, I kind of, we were doing this on Zoom and I, so I had 30 little boxes up on the screen and I, I asked for a show of hands. And I said, okay, uh, how many of you have somebody in your regular real world life who you know and like, who's single and who you've ever wondered about dating? 30 kids in the class, 30 hands went up. So my take is, all right, even in the times of COVID, if everybody already knows somebody who they like and know and would like to date and they already have some kind of a pre-existing relationship with, why the heck would you start from zero with a complete stranger on a dating app when there's already somebody in the real world who you could ask out? So I agree with John that we should throw out some of the traditional gender roles. But I wonder if online dating actually kind of opens doors to doing things differently in the virtual world that might be easier than, you know, pushing for change uh, in the real world. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think a, a great example is Bumble, the dating app that gives women the leverage to be the one to reach out. And, you know, there's a lot of different dating apps that are catering to people that want to date in different ways or to you know, be part of different dating communities. And that's one of the great things about the internet and about digital dating is that it's flexible and you can gravitate to whatever works for you. But Michal, I have a question for you. What are you like as a dater? Do you make your move? <laughs> well, it's funny you should ask, Brian. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I actually proposed to my husband. I, I didn't get down on one knee or any of that stuff, but I did ask him to marry me. And uh, he said yes, and it did not take any digital dragons or virtual gifts of any kind to make it happen. Was he surprised when you uh, when you made that move? Well, I mean, we had we had talked about it, so it wasn't out of nowhere. But um, he was very happy. He was very. You didn't very feel happy. like you were usurping his male authority. Not at all. Not at all. He loved it. I knew I liked that guy. <laughs> all right, that is it for today. We'll be back next week with more talk on how tech is reshaping our world. And happy Valentine's Day, everybody. The Brainstorm Podcast is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is written and produced by Wyatt Orm and edited by Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. <laughs>